Hey, it's Mark. We're going to be dropping another conversation in this feed pretty soon, but right now I wanted to give you a sneak peek of another Crosscut podcast you might be interested in. It's called Black Arts Legacies, and it's part of a huge multimedia project that Crosscut just launched about the vital and ongoing role of black artists and black arts organizations in the Seattle region. We've got profiles of over two dozen artists, really fantastic videos and photography, and a podcast. The podcast focuses on the art spaces that have been critical to the development of Seattle's black arts community and to the culture of the city as a whole. Host Brooklyn Jamerson Flowers explores these important spaces and their histories through the voices of the artists and experts who know them well. To give you a sense of this new venture, and maybe, hopefully, to get you to subscribe, I'm sharing an excerpt here from my favorite episode, which is about the Langston Hughes Performing Arts Institute, the oldest black performing arts center in Seattle. Have a listen, and if you like what you hear, search for Black Arts Legacies wherever you get your podcasts, or you can find a link in this episode's show notes. Oh, and check out the rest of the project at blackartslegacies.com. Thanks. In 1966, America was 11 years into the Vietnam War and two years into LBJ's War on Poverty. While Martin Luther King was fighting the racist roots of poverty in Chicago, the Department of Housing and Urban Development was fighting urban poverty in cities across the country. Our story begins right there in 1960s Seattle. Okay, so boom, we are good to go. That's Keith Tucker. He's executive director of an awesome organization called Hip Hop is Green, which is all about using hip hop to promote health for young people. I grew up in the central area, obviously, in Seattle. I was born uh, in the mid-60s long time ago, you know, it was a segregated area where, you know, you had a lot of black folks. And when I say segregated, it was redlined. That's what they, you know, that's what they call it now. But when I grew up in Seattle, I had a wonderful experience in the black community um, here, Um, not knowing all of the different economic um, and programs that the city had to keep us in that area. You know, I was totally insulated from that when I was a kid. Yep, Keith's been in the Central District since the 60s. I spoke to him after Langston's current executive director, Tim Lennon, told me that Keith's dad, Jeff Tucker, was instrumental in converting the old synagogue into a Black art space. I guess there was a racial reckoning back in those times as well because they created a program for inner city youth. And that program was called the Model Cities Program. Okay. And they wanted to put money into urban areas because of uh, poverty and the situations that black communities face, um, partly because the system was not financially equal (laughs) for black folks in the first place. So this was the first time that I can remember studying history, right? That the American government actually took some money and said, let's invest it in um, Black communities. Well, there was the Works Project Administration, the WPA, back during the New Deal. It didn't fund Black communities and workers equal to white communities, but it did employ hundreds of thousands of Black people, including many artists. So in Seattle... 
my father, Jeff Tucker, was working uh, for the Model Cities program in Seattle, okay, with Judge Johnson. And Judge Johnson really was his boss. Judge Charles V. Johnson was a huge Seattle activist, and I'll let him speak for himself. This is an interview with Johnson from the Seattle Civil Rights and Labor History Project at the University of Washington. Model Cities was a big, big shot in the arm from not only from a community standpoint of view, but from a civil rights standpoint of view. Because, see, I was still working with the uh, Centenary Committee for Civil Rights while I chaired Model Cities. So I was chairman of Model Cities and also working with, with NAACP and the Centenary Committee for Civil Rights. And as Model Cities grew, uh, we made sure that Model Cities and everything we did was totally integrated and all, when funds were used, they were being used so that we could integrate and desegregate wherever the tentacles of Model Cities went out. And Judge Johnson told my father, and I think my father was in his 20s at that time, maybe 23, 24, he was a young guy. And this is the story. Judge Johnson told my father, hey, we have these funds. We want to create some programs for inner city youth um, that where they can use their talents um, and creative talents as an outlet. And at that time, my father uh, was into theater. And he wanted to be an actor himself, and he was studying to become an actor. He ended up moving to New York to pursue that. But I guess that must have influenced him to come up with the idea of creating a performance arts theater here for youth as an outlet for them. Um, the arts is a, uh, is a very creative um, and wonderful program um, and an outlet for Black people. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, it was a, a really great idea he came up with. So he uh, um, wrote the business plan and strategy for it. Jeff Tucker wasn't alone. The effort was led by a man named Walter Hunley, who was the director of the Central Area Motivation Program, a program we'll get into more later this season. Um, and, and the main key component to that was the synagogue there, uh, off of Yesler um, at the time, because what, what was happening is, um, you know, in the black community, there was a lot of Jewish people in the black community and they were, they were moving out of the black community at that point. Um, they were moving out to Seward Park, Bellevue, other places like that. And um, he negotiated with the rabbis at that synagogue for the city of Seattle and the Model Cities program to purchase the building or the Performance Arts Center. So um, he was successful in uh, negotiating with rabbis to, to get that building put there and, and institute the program. Um, and, you know, it's been going on ever since. So, you know, that's, that's just kind of how the formation of Langston happened. Um, the city of Seattle was put in there um, to help run Langston. And so that's how the city, um, you know, got... In, involved in it um, because of the Model Cities program and all that stuff, and to make sure to ensure that there was funding to, you know, keep the program going um, for decades, which, you know, it actually has been, been doing that. So that was a good thing. And what about the name Langston Hughes? Well, part of establishing the building as a Black space was naming it after a Black person. The city sought community input and ended up having three choices. 
either the Du Bois Dome, the Paul Robeson Cultural Center, or the Langston Hughes Cultural Center. They settled on the black poet and writer for the namesake. Though Langston Hughes wasn't from the community, he had been here several times to speak. And what about Keith's father? And so he moved into working with different arts organizations because he was good at that. You know what I mean? And so just like he was good at forming Langston Hughes, he kept that going and ended up managing different... He managed a ballet company. He ended up moving from New York uh, to Oakland and managed the Oakland Ballet Company for a while. Um, he ended up going back to school and uh, uh, in, in doing that, and he ended up being a professor. You know, he ended up being an educator. Now you know how the building went from a synagogue to a black arts space. But the story of how Langston Hughes became what it is today is far from over. Stay tuned. All right, that's it for the excerpt. Once again, to hear the rest of the episode and the whole series, go to blackartslegacies.com or search for it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again. I'll talk to you soon.